This is the KYT show. What does that even mean? Everybody was metagaming against each other because we saw each other's deck. Hey guys, this is KYT and welcome to the debut episode of my new show. On this episode, I'm interviewing Mike Irving, who ended up winning the FaceToFaceGames.com Calgary Open Plus with Merfolk. As well, I'm going to have Jesse Smith, otherwise known as Smitty, on. He was one of my co-hosts for the 18 Podcast, one of the most popular Magic the Gathering podcasts of all time. Excited to reunite with him. Now, to support my show, I'm currently running this under the Patreon of my other main show, First Strike. So go to patreon.com slash Strike, And if you are at the base level of, pay- of a patron, if you donate $1 per month, you're going to get access to the raw, uncensored calls of these interviews. So you're going to hear stuff before and after. Some might include some, some personal stuff. And I'm not going to leave anything out. I'm not cutting anything. So you're going to get access to those. So sit back, enjoy, and here's Mike Irving. So I'm here with uh, Michael Irving. Thank you so much for for coming on my first episode of my new show, Mike. Really appreciate it. Uh, Not a problem at all. And uh, he had just won the Calgary Open Plus. uh, Face-to-Face Games holds roughly three Open Pluses every year. Uh, but it's it's more special because our open places are at its biggest, usually hits full capacity, specifically in Alberta, whether it's Calgary, Red Deer, or Edmonton. You want one of the biggest ones, so I, I really want to personally congratulate you on that achievement. Well, thank you very much. It was uh, it was a great event, and I had a really good time, obviously. <laughs> I'm glad to hear. Was this your first open plus, or have you been playing any of our other face-to-face games events before? Uh, I played one in Red Deer about a year, year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this was the first one in Calgary. Okay. Um, and, and you're from, which part of Alberta are you from? From Airdrie, so pretty much Calgary. Okay. Um, so I just want to get my listeners a, a, just a quick background uh, of you before we get into the deck and the, the, the tournament uh, that you ended up winning. Uh, when did you start playing? Do you remember uh, which set that you started your playing career at? Uh, well, I played uh, back in high school with uh, friends' cards uh, for a long time, so it would have been like 97 to 99, somewhere in there. Um, stopped playing for a while, then decided it was a lot of fun, so came back to it uh, with starter decks from uh, New Phyrexia, I think, right at the end of that block. Um, would you say, and now I, I asked you before, you don't really play that much locally, so were you just playing mainly with friends instead of the local game store, or were you playing at the local game store, but as you got older, you transitioned more to online? Oh, I, I definitely transitioned to online later. Def- started up playing with just friends. We got starter decks, we'd buy packs, we eventually discovered singles, realized how many cards there were, playing some broken stuff. Like, <laughs> we, we got into casual, and then I built a deck, ordered like a Talarni Academy and a bunch of other artifacts online, just started <laughs> crushing our casual... Uh, games before we realized that we were all playing with banned cards. We discovered Soul Ring. That was a big deal. Um, so it, it was a few years after that, probably about 2014, started playing at a store. Did my first pre-release with Gate Crash. Wow. And then, uh, yeah, played a bunch of pre-releases. Played kind of casually at stores. Didn't really start drafting at stores uh, until a few years later. And then we got into Modern because none of us could agree on a fair... Uh, 
essentially we couldn't get to a fair point where our casual decks all balanced out because we could just keep uh, one-upping each other with expensive cards. So we, we decided uh, we needed a format and Modern was going to be it in our playgroup. And that, that's where we started out towards where I'm at now. So, so you mainly play with your playgroup now or, or you mainly play online? Uh, most of the play I do is online. Um, obviously, it's just easy to, to jam games on Magic Online, uh, especially if you're testing modern decks and tweaks to that. Uh, it's just the easiest place to get out and do it. I get out and do paper when I can, but with uh, other hobbies and work and family and everything else, uh, I can only get out once every few weeks, if that, to play in paper. <laughs> right. So when did that transition happen from, from playing LGS to like devoting some amount of money to an online collection? Uh, when did I set up on Magic Online? About a year, maybe a little more than a year ago. Um, coming up to GP Vegas uh, 2017, so not this year, but last year, um, our playgroup decided we wanted to make the trip, and that mean, meant I needed a decent modern deck. Um, so I got into Merfolk at that point, and then shortly after Vegas, then I bought in online so that I could uh, start testing and take it a little more seriously. So what's your main method of testing online? Did your playgroup also uh, play with you online, or, or are you jumping in two-man queues or, or tournaments and, and that sort? Usually just friendly leagues. Um, I'll, I'll do a competitive if I have the time to sit down and focus, and I want to take a little more of a gamble, but... I find the skill level at friendlies is high enough that I'm getting a good uh, good run, and it's easy enough to win enough uh, that I don't have to invest much in the leagues. Okay, got you. Um, but did, did, did your other friends that were going down with you, did they invest in the deck online, or are you the main guy that, that decided to just test online a lot to get those um, reps? Out of uh, out of my play group, I'm the I think I'm the only one right now that's testing a lot <laughs> on Magic Online. Um, the rest of them either make the time to play in paper or just don't test as much, uh, depending on how much time they have. Okay, so let's let's get to the deck. What made you pick Merfolk to concentrate on? Uh, well, part of it was budget. It was pretty easy to get into at the time. It was about 250 bucks Canadian, which is super cheap for a modern deck. It's right, gone definitely. up since then, but uh, yeah, it, it was uh, pretty easy to get into. I'm I'm definitely identify as a blue mage, so it it had to be a deck with blue in it, and control wasn't really viable at the time, so it it caught my eye because it gets to play counter spells, it can win games in modern, and uh, it gets to cheat on mana a little bit with Aether Vial, so I got into it and then stumbled into the community. So when I found the deck, I just decided it was the deck I wanted to play. I started looking it up online ran into uh, all the guys that post. Like, There's multiple YouTubers, Nikachu and uh, Merfolk Joe, and now a, a few more of them as well, um, that I just assumed existed for every community because this was the first serious deck I'd gotten into. So I uh, kind of came into Modern being able to watch hundreds of hours of play videos and discussion and everything else that these guys have put out there. So it was good to be able to get into to get ramped up uh, for my first big tournament, which was at uh, GP Vegas in 17. I'm not. I'm not even sure that exists. For, well, do you know now if it exists for other community? For me, it's like there's not many people who are who's like Nikachu, who for me is like the obvious champion, like public champion of a certain archetype. I, I don't see that too often for these other decks. I don't think it exists. Obviously, you've got uh, a few specific pros that are known for their decks, but they don't exclusively play those. So it, it's nice to get in and get somebody like that where you can watch them be great at a specific deck. And obviously, uh, 
showing up at GP Vancouver, which would have been uh, the spring before I went to Vegas, right after I picked up the deck, him going to second place in that tournament uh, was kind of a big deal and showed me that uh, it, it can definitely do well at tournaments. Yeah, he's not only done well there. I think he's placed, he's made a few top eights, or if not won some of our face-to-face games open. I've seen his no- name pop up, uh, not just um, as the YouTuber guy with <laughs> with uh, new lists all the time. Um, uh, would you recommend a, a new Merfolk player go to these YouTubers uh, as a starting point? Oh, absolutely. Well, and even not Merfolk players. I mean, these guys are really solid modern players. If you want to learn the format through the lens of Merfolk, um, it's definitely a good place to do it. And then you also, are you an active um, member of the Reddit community? And are there other communities that you try to interact with to to improve your game? Yeah, um, depending on how much time I have, I I try and be (laughs) as active as I can on Reddit. But uh, uh, we're there on the Fish subreddit. Uh, There's a Merfolk Discord as well uh, that has lots of kind of active real-time chat. Um, And yeah, just a lot of discussion among the community in various formats. And then the Merfolk Discord is uh, linked to the Reddit community? Yeah, it's it's in there somewhere, uh, pinned in the sidebar. <laughs> so how would you end up with uh, your final list for the Calgary Open Plus? Well, that one's been evolving for a while. A um, couple of the things in it, the Fairy Conclaves and uh, the Deprives are something that a, an online player called M. Hayashi brought to the deck a while ago. He was playing a Merfolk variant in his uh, 5-0 in competitive leagues with a, a Chalice variant of it. Um, with the extra man lands and the deprives in the sideboard. So that has kind of become something that... Uh, Deprive is pretty mainstream now in the Merfolk decks. Fairy Conclave, some people have accepted it, some people haven't. Um, and then the recent changes are Mistcaller, which was just printed in uh, M19 and has become relevant because of Dredge and Arclight Phoenix and all the other decks that want to cheat things into play. When it first came out, we didn't think it was going to be great. It wouldn't give a it wouldn't give Curse Catcher a run for its money, but uh, it's been really valuable and it was super valuable in this tournament. And then uh, the new hotness is Peak that uh, Mikachu <laughs> brought into the deck, and I really advocate for having an instant speed cantrip is great uh, because our curve is a little awkward. Uh, we have a lot of two drops, and often we have one or three mana to spend. So. Um, it's it's good to have in there having access to opponents' hands uh, when you know the format, you know what they can do with it can go a long way. So that's kind of where I settled on the the list that I ended up running. Okay, so I, so I was asking you before the call how I, I saw some someone telling another person that they should apologize you, and I was like, is there hate amongst the Merfolk group? Did you say something controversial? Did you do something? And uh, it turned out to be your, your stance on peak. Yep. Yeah, I'm I'm the strongly pro peak um, advocate, and uh, there are some people that are strongly against. And uh, I guess we'll see where it it comes out in the wash long term. Um, one tournament. I mean, I'm very sold on it, having the results that I had. But uh, we will see if we can get more results with peak in the deck uh, as time goes on. Ultimately, I think it would be better to have a better one drop. If we had a Merfolk that did what peak did, or some other thing to fill that slot, then it would be great. But uh, for now, it's doing what we want it to do. And I, I think the, the rhetoric will settle down over time for sure. <laughs> is it, is, so you, you mentioned how seeing their hand is valuable. Um, it's, it's mainly for you to know what you want to spend your counter spells on more effectively and what you can ignore. What you want to counter, um, what sweepers they have in their hand, what removal they have in their hand, if they have removal in their hand. 
Um, Merfolk can suffer pretty badly if you make a misplay. Um, if you lose a lord to a lightning bolt and another lord to a blocker because you attacked with it, um, that's often a game-losing play. Um, mm-hmm. One of the reasons it's not one of the biggest decks in the meta is you have to play it very, very tightly and actively call what's in your opponent's hand uh, in order to get to the end of the game. It can be super powerful, but uh, it can be a little fragile to a lot of the decks in the format. So just knowing allows you to decide, do you roll out all your lords because they don't have a sweeper and just go for the kill, or do you play patiently and wait until you have the time to do it? So Mm. it, it just lets you pick the right strategy, and worst case, it's a cycler. Um, and often we have that extra one blue mana up at the end of their turn. So being able to ditch it for the next card in the deck uh, can be really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you had mentioned you, you focus on that because of the Vegas tournament in 2017. How has the um, matchup matchups evolved? Uh, how, how is how good? Because you you made a choice to stick with the deck, and we've seen like Death Shadow, we've seen now Dredge picking up. And so has the deck been better positioned than in 2017, worse, gotten worse matchups? Uh, what's, your, what's your take on, the, on how it's evolved? Uh, it's pretty good right now. It's gone through a period where it wasn't great. Um, we had a really uh, decent matchup against Grixis Death Shadow, if you knew what you were doing, just with a lot of instant speed threats and being able to put things into the battlefield, play some counter spells for their big bombs. Um, it was good. But then as that started to die out, some other decks came into the format that were quite good against us. And then with the rise of humans and spirits um, that other people consider the better merfolk decks, uh, it, it's kind of fallen off in favor because it is pretty hard to play, uh, at least to a high level. So it's uh, probably not the best position, but it's it's not the worst at the moment uh, that it's been. It's been, uh, yeah, it, it's been on a bit of an upswing in the last few months as people play more islands and more control decks. <laughs> uh, well, my friend John John Medina wanted to ask, and you had mentioned this, uh, he, he's like, why why are people playing this if if it's worse than Spirits and Humans? Uh, so you do you agree with that, that it's it's a worse version, or and you're just sticking with it, or you don't agree with, with this sentiment? Oh, I don't agree at all. Um, I am super biased. I am emotionally, <laughs> financially, and time committed to this deck, so take it with a grain of salt. But uh, Merfolk is still the best Merfolk deck out there. Uh, spirits can defend themselves really well. They have built-in evasion, um, but they don't have the staying power that we have. Uh, the deck I brought to the tournament has 12 cantrips in it. Um, we can grind with card advantage decks. We can race tempo decks. Um, we have a lot of versatility. And then we have a backup land destruction plan if we need it so there is uh, a lot more options that we have but the flip side of that is it's a lot a lot easier to pick the wrong line to go with the wrong option um, and it makes it a a tougher deck to win with than something like spirits or humans so i will give them that that makes sense you have so many plans to go with and you don't know where to put where to go all in with a given plan um how how would you compare, compare it to humans the same thing uh, humans can be a lot more disruptive, proactively disruptive, and mm-hmm. uh, they go tall better than we do. Um, obviously, with Champion of the Parish, those things can get pretty uh, ridiculous. <laughs> and uh, Exalted Mantis Riders can be pretty uh, terrible to deal with as well. So humans, uh, they, they do a good job of that, but they don't have a ton of trickiness to them, at least compared to Merfolk. Uh, with Flash Creatures and Aether Vials and Counter Magic, 
Uh, we have the ability to play reactively a little bit better than humans does. So depending on the matchups you get, the type of player you are, and the type of players you come up against, um, you can uh, do a little better with Merfolk, I think. Mm-hmm. That that also makes a lot of sense. So head, heading into the Calgary Open Plus, what what type of uh, metagame were you expecting? I was expecting pretty wide open, but with, especially if I made it into the top tables, a lot of dredge. Um, Creeping Chill is a terrifying magic card, and I, <laughs> I think it's going to do a lot for the dredge pilots in the, in the next half a year or longer. So uh, I expected a lot of that, hence the surgical extractions. It's not my favorite card to run, but I thought it needed to be there. I'd also been running into a lot of Arclight Phoenix decks, so I expected some variant of those throughout the day. Um, whether it was all the all-in red ones or the red-blue variants running thing in the ice or something along those lines, because they were kind of the new hotness that had just come up in the last few weeks. Now, how do you think your deck matches up against either of those? Is it a favorite, coin flip, bad matchup? Uh, the community in general thinks Dredge is pretty good. Um, I'm not the best pilot against Dredge. <laughs> Uh, so I don't like that matchup at all. Um, just ev- every time I pick a line, it te- seems to be the wrong one. I-, I play against their creatures on board, and I get conflagrated to death, uh, or, I- or I hold up a counter spell for the conflagrate, and then they end up with four amalgams on the board. And um, Might just be bad luck, uh, but uh, I-, I definitely don't like running up against Dredge. Uh, the Arclight decks are fine. Uh, really interesting with Phantasmal Image in the deck because we can copy their horrors or their Arclight Phoenixes, block them. We can copy our uh, protection from Red Master Waves to just overwhelm them. Um, but it's too new a deck. I, I don't think I've played the same version of it twice, so I, I can't really say whether we're favored or not. Um, it, it's felt good when it's worked, and at the same time, I've been run over by three Arclight Phoenixes on turn two, so it, it can go either way. Uh, so what did you end up facing throughout the Open Plus then? Not not too much dredge then, if you ended up winning? <laughs> I dodged dredge until the last round of Swiss, and we intentional drew. Uh, it was uh, it was great, because he, he was beside me for three games in a row at the top tables. And I was just waiting <laughs> to get matched up against the dredge guy. Um, and it, uh, it worked out in my favor, I think. <laughs> Cool. And other than that, I, I don't didn't hit the same deck twice uh, throughout the entire tournament, uh, which is modern these days, which is really great. Uh, it made it really interesting. Uh, you had mentioned, so so what are some of the matches where you're ecstatic uh, to see when you're sitting down and you, you know what they're playing after the first couple of turns? Ponza um, is great, which was my round four opponent, even though he won game one which was strange, but uh, getting to three for one there, Utopia Sprawl land with the Spreading Seas goes a long way in that matchup. Um, and we just have uh, a lot of good answers for what they've got. Um, other than that, there weren't a ton of great matchups, but not a lot of really bad ones either. Uh, running into Hardened Scales Affinity, that can be a rough deck. A walking Ballista on anything more than two tends to wreck us. Um, and I got pretty lucky to come up against that one early. Uh, Hollow One can be a coin flip. Human Spirits, those decks tend to be coin flips as well. It depends who draws better and uh, can outplay the other opponents. So Mostly the matchups were pretty good. Um, going into the finals against uh, a Counters Company deck, that can usually be pretty rough because we don't have uh, enough interaction to deal with them in Game 1. If they get that uh, the Druid-Vizier combo out, we just die to it. But luckily, uh, Mistcaller gives us a little bit of game by preventing Coco and Cord, at least as a one-off. Hmm. 
it, it does sound like you're pretty happy uh, with your list. Like if, if people were just, whether it's like people checking out your Reddit thread and stuff like that, wanted to take it to their next tournament, is there anything they, they should tweak or anything that you would want to experiment with on top of uh, the 75 you brought to the Open Plus? I think if I could get away with it, I would like to play without the surgical extractions. I think they're a necessary evil at the moment, but I'd rather chop those and add more of something else. Another another tech edge, another echoing truth, maybe some more counter magic, um, potentially some tidebinder mages if they're expecting a lot of red or green matchups. Um, but otherwise, I'm pretty happy with it. Uh, I'll probably keep it the same for a little while unless the meta shifts away from the graveyard decks and I want to drop the mist colors in the main. Yeah, yeah, my my good friend uh, Final Nub, who's the the, the Grishol brand expert, uh, he messaged me today that he's probably going to end up playing Dredge at, at Vegas uh, this upcoming weekend, and um, I don't think like people are, aren't going to leave Dredge yet, so <laughs> it's going to be a main player. So so the people I guess should stick with your your list that you ended up winning the tournament with if if they want to play fish. Yes, well, or go heavier anti Dredge and <laughs> go with uh, an Onikachu. Uh, pretty much crushed dredge to top eight a, an online challenge with four surgicals in the board. And uh, if you want to go all the way there, it is the best card you can get for our deck at the moment against Creeping Chill. Hmm. Be- besides Peak, is there any other cards uh, discussion that is, that is highly controversial or, or people are really divided about currently? Uh, not a ton. Uh, there's some debate on what we should be doing with our lands. Um where Folk Joe proposed going with a, a 16 Island for Mutavolt build just to turn off uh, Field of Ruin. That seems to be working pretty well. Um, so there's some debate, but definitely nothing that's as heated as Peak at the moment. <laughs> but we got you and Nikachu as, as the main backers. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's pretty good. Yeah, we've, we've got some results behind it for now, and we'll see if it holds up over <laughs> the next uh, six months or so. Um, so what's on the horizon for you from a competitive standpoint? Are you a type of player that, that wants to just focus on modern because that's the format, like you said, your local group decided to, to enjoy and play together? Or do you have like the pro tour in mind at all? Uh, what's your competitive aspiration? Well, up until last weekend, my goal was to maybe someday top eight a tournament. <laughs> so uh, I definitely haven't given any thought to the pro tour. I, I primarily just want to play play modern. I love the format. Um, it's really diverse, which can be frustrating, but there's it's, there's just so many interesting decks to play against, um, and it's a lot of fun. So uh, I'll play in a bunch of modern tournaments coming up. Uh, I'm going to go to the Red Deer Open, I think, coming up in about a month. And then we've got a local modern GP in Calgary uh, coming up in March. So can't pass that gift horse up. So uh, it's that's what I'm going to be prepping towards, and then we'll see where we go from there. Well, I mean, I guess that's a perfect event for you and your and your group of friends. It's like, bam. oh yeah. Well, and the whole like Calgary's got a great modern community. There's a lot of really good players that put a lot of time into their modern deck. So it's it's great that that gets recognized and that when we do get a GP in Calgary, it is a modern event. Oh man, like I'm I'm excited to hear that. I'm excited, and it's so exciting to hear someone like you that just gravitated towards a deck and just interacts with the online community and continually tweaks and tunes the deck to, to perfection to get to that point and to win a tournament. And uh, it's just cool to see that and not, and not, um, you know, not think about anything pro tour related yet or, or have any, um, I mean, have you, have you played in any of those PTQs on whether online or, or in real life? I, I think I've played in 
two PPTQs, mostly because it was a modern tournament that I could make it to. Um, so yeah, two, P two PPTQs, the GP in Vegas, and uh, this event, and maybe one or two other face-to-face -face events. Um, so I haven't done the grind for sure. I just uh, when I have a weekend that there's a modern event that I can make it to, I try and make it happen. Um, what would you say was the the biggest reason for what your? Of course, I, I can say that uh, tournaments there's variance, there's luck, whatever. Like, but to achieve first in a huge tournament, there's definitely something that has to be there. Uh, what would you attribute? Um, to your success, like what thing would it be testing, like doing those friendly leagues? Would you say that was the main reason for, for how well you did? Oh yeah. Rep, reps are important. Um, I got probably about seven leagues in with the deck that I ended up running. Um, and I probably played about 1500 merfolk matches, um, over the last few years. So it helps to be comfortable because you come up against novel situations and you can come up with better options you can be less stressed but a lot of it like you mentioned a lot of it's luck i ran well like <laughs> there, i don't think there was anything probably only a couple of games where i had the the stone cold nut draw but i also had nobody do it against me i had nobody completely blow me out uh in multiple games in my matches and so yeah between the confidence and the prep um as far as Getting that done, prepping a sideboard guide and being able to offload a lot of that decision-making made a big difference. I had to figure out what I wanted to bring in theoretically against 50 different decks and it only applied about two-thirds of the time because modern. But uh, it, it was definitely nice to be able to pull it out and have a reference, not have to think through every decision and not have to worry about uh, as many mistakes sideboarding uh, as I went through the games. Yeah, and you kept dodging the dredge guy. That was next to you. <laughs> Dodge the dredge rounds. guy. Only hit Affinity once. Yeah, there's definitely... Didn't hit Titan Shift all day. So, yeah. Dodging dodging bad matchups is also good advice for a modern tournament. <laughs> um, I mean, I had, I had asked you before because I wanted to make um, this, this show, at least part of the show, uh, a show that... It, it's just a really... It's a throwback to what I used to do. I, I started a site called Man Deprived roughly eight years ago. And my main objective at that time was to write about or um, focus on some of the top Canadian talents because I, I felt like there weren't enough. There, Twitter wasn't big then. Facebook wasn't as active back then. And it was hard to tell, like, who's the good player, like, who you should go up and talk to. Like, there weren't YouTubers, uh, like, huge eight years ago making uh, MTG content. So that's why... I, I will, for every episode of this show, I will bring in like a new Canadian maybe that people can look out for if, if they happen to do well. Like if hopefully listeners of, of the show at GP Calgary, if your name is up there after day one, people will get like, hey, that's the that's the Merfolk expert or uh, that's a guy who won the Calgary Open Plus And that gives them a reason to get excited to, to cheer for someone. Uh, but there's no one for for you. There's no one maybe online or or even locally that you could tell me that they should look out for, right? You're, you're pretty fresh into the competitive scene, it sounds. Yeah, I, I don't get out often enough. I mean, uh, at one of the stores I used to play at, there's a lot of really good, solid competitive players that I know have done uh, done well at at various tournaments um, in the past. Um, I'll probably miss a bunch of them. Um, but I know, uh, one of the local guys, uh, Conrad Jansen's really good. Um, Mark Whedon, a guy named Mike Penner, who, uh, at 
GP Vancouver, the same one Nikachu did well at, uh, made a deep run, I think almost top-aided with 8-rack. Um, and so there's, I know there's a group of guys, and if any of them are listening, I apologize because I, I don't remember <laughs> everybody's names, but the guys that used to play at Revolution Games uh, kind of got, they're the first place I started in Modern, and their level of competition uh, definitely helped boost me up when I was a newbie. So um, they're they're good to look out for. Uh, they, they're solid players, and they, they could... They could take any one of these. <laughs> well, I, man, you're good. You're cool to chat with. So I hope, like, again, if you do well at Calgary or any future tournament, it's like, hey, that's the Michael Urban guy. Um, I hope people cheer for you. Um, so, so let's end the, end uh, this call with with something else, non magic. I had mentioned like, do you have any wacky hobbies? And and I'm good friends with John Stern, who, who told me that he also plays a lot of do- dodgeball <laughs> in his spare time. So how often do you play dodgeball? Uh, just about every week, as long as we're not in the off season. Um, I've been playing for just about ten years now, and uh, yeah, that's that's uh, what I do to get out for exercise. And actually, a lot of the guys that I play magic with are on the dodgeball team with me. So you can imagine, uh, we we've been playing a long time, so we do pretty well competitively. But we look like magic players, not sports guys. <laughs> so we show up and play against the really sporty teams, and they are often quite surprised uh, at, at how well we dodgeball. <laughs> How well um, It was a funny conversation with, with my friend John because I, I had asked him like, so do you guys like have developed any sort of uh, overarching type of strategy? And I imagine your team has, has as well. Like, who do you take out first and stuff like that? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> we're because we're playing at a relatively competitive level. I mean, it's still recreational. It's dodgeball. It doesn't get professional. Well, I think it technically does, but not in Calgary by any means but yeah there's absolutely strategy involved and a, a pretty high high degree of play um uh, when you get up there so absolutely you're looking to take out uh, certain players first depending on the team you're playing against who whether they're likely to catch their players back in whether you're likely to just be throwing balls at each other until everybody's out I mean, take out uh, take out the threats you want to take out in order and life goes a little easier for you is do you play are there any special rules for, for dodgeball, or is it like you take everyone out, you catch one, you save someone, do you save anyone you want, do you save like a, the last uh, person that got hit? The, the first one out is the first one that comes back in. Okay. Um, so you come back in in order. And other than that, it's kind of what you see in the movie, just without all the drama. Um, <laughs> and, or what you would have played in grade school, just with grown-ups throwing balls really hard at each other. <laughs> love it, love it. Um, okay, so, so when this call... Is, if people want to reach you, is Reddit the best place? Are, are you on any social media platform that, that, hey, let's say if a fish newbie just wants to ask you a question, what's their best way of reaching out to you? Uh, Reddit's probably the best place to do it. I am not on Twitter, although that now seems weird. Um, so on Reddit, I'm Earthlink2. On the Merfolk Discord, the same thing. Um, and they can reach me on there. I mean, maybe, maybe it was weird then, but I, I'm starting to feel like more people are on Reddit than on Twitter now. I actually feel like it's weird not to be on Reddit. I'm starting mm-hmm. like the, the community is so strong in Reddit, it just feels like um like Twitter doesn't have doesn't generate that that level of discussion. Like I'm already seeing like your thread, just you posting it and then having like at least a dozen replies and you jumping in like why you know even the most recent thread that I saw you respond was like, why aren't the deprives and the gates and stuff like that? And you, you have all this active discussion. So I think Reddit's where it's at right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to be able to go a little deeper. It suits, suits where I'm at more than Twitter does, but uh, 
well, we'll see where things go in the future. Well, okay. Thanks for, uh, for, thanks for being on my show, Mike. And, and hopefully I can get you back on once you take down another big event. <laughs> yeah. Ho- hopefully that happens. And, uh, if it does, I'd be happy to. Thanks for the invite. Okay. Thank you. So I'm here with my man, Jesse Smith, otherwise known as Smitty, one of the founders of the 18 podcast, the founder of 60cards.com. Uh, what people don't know, what people don't know is because now uh, content creation has blown up. There's stuff like Patreon to support content producers. But I consider Jesse one of the OGs of MTG content production because that's when both of us, me with manatheprod.com, you with 60cards.com, we started creating our own site and without like any thought of having a Patreon or anything like that, we just put money, bought a domain name, and, and our only goal is just to try to build a community, put our name out there, like write articles and stuff like that. And, and this was the very beginning, man, right? Uh, yep, absolutely. I even paid Patrick Chapin to write an article for my website just right off the bat because I knew there was it's so difficult to get traction. Like I, I just you had to get in good with people to get traffic going. But boy, yeah, it, it, it did. It required a lot of money, time and effort and uh financially, you know, you never got any back. You just did it for the fun of it. <laughs> so welcome I mean, to the show, Jesse. Really yes, happy thank to be you. Off. Thank you so much, dude. It's been so long, man. I miss you. I miss you a lot, bro. I, I miss you too. Just just going through the archives, trying to build uh, my new intro for this show. There's just lots of memories that came flooding in, and, and I didn't realize the insane amount of chemistry us four had. Uh, but let, let's talk about why you were so popular. I'm going to tell you my perspective, but because you, you're probably either too humble or you, you don't know our perspective, but people just love you for your intuition enthusiasm for your brews and a lot of them for me i don't I, you know what my favorite deck is of yours it just had a funny name mill blade it was everyone was playing Cobblade. you're like you know what i'm just gonna make mill blade it's gonna be like Cobblade, but we're gonna play hedron crabs and, and mill people out with the with the other sword right like the sort of yes the sort of mill whatever it was it sort of uh Oh, jeez, I can't I remember. Yep, body and mind. That was it. That was it. <laughs> I could affect MTGO prices even. Like, that's how I knew I had some sort of audience. But, yeah, no, it doesn't sound like I'm very humble, does it? <laughs> What's funny is I actually am, but, like, I always craved, like, the content produ- production requires so much effort and time, and I felt like I didn't get it back because there's so much bitching and complaining on Twitter. And that's eventually what did me in is like, I'm like, hear me. <laughs> I'm spending 10 hours a day figuring out these decks for y'all to play at Friday Night Magic, and they're dope, I promise. And not just Friday Night Magic, man. Some of those things could get top eight at GPs and stuff. But anyways, so yes, I, I think a lot of people maybe don't re- remember me as being humble at all because I always wanted credit for the things I did. And I don't know if that's right or wrong, but um, I've learned a lot from it, that's for sure. <laughs> and I've been on and off of Twitter a lot just because I can't, I I can't handle the, uh, the Internet at times. <laughs> it's the real truth of it. Uh, but, yeah. We're going to get into that. We're going to get into – so I'm going to talk to you about like content creation, um, maybe what your, your social media tendencies – and, yep. and, and and what you've been doing outside outside of magic and and obviously so, some brewing questions but um 
but, but yeah, back to the content creation. Like, I think people love you for your enthusiasm. Not only Millblade, you made a bunch of other decks, and, and then we made uh, some cards like super popular uh, by our A-Team episodes, like Cadolfo Phoenix, because yep. like, Kaka and stuff like that, <laughs> crazy noises, or... I mean, I think your best well, friend was Cobra Snake, but I don't think we, we talked about Lotus Cobra, but stuff like right. that. Yeah, but Cobra Snake is like, we actually call him that, my buddy. And um, <laughs> no, but like what the, what, oh shoot, where was I going with that? Um, oh my gosh, I totally just brain farted. <laughs> so what, what what was your, sorry, I, you're going to have to edit now. <laughs> That's fine. So what was your um your your question? I just kind of lost my train of thought. Typical Smitty. <laughs> I I didn't really have a question. Basically, okay. I was talking about your enthusiasm and you had other decks um, that you were That's, known for. A lot of birthing pod decks that you yeah. Love. I I think you're spot on. Like I think people like were drawn to the things I did because of the enthusiasm and like it's totally genuine because like the enthusiasm I have like what I love magic for is well obviously the game itself. But, like, the just it's so well thought out. It's crazy, dude. I've played, like, every card game, and Magic is just so damn good. It's amazing that it was, like, created so long ago and has withheld the test of time. But anyways, I get super hyped and sidetracked <laughs> about uh, very um, specific cards. Like, Blood Artist is probably my favorite card of all time. Uh, Koldotha Phoenix is amazing because I love phoenixes. I like good art. I like hate. I like certain abilities. No, I'm serious. This is how I, love I get it. attached That's to cards. That's yeah. why I love you. you. I mean, there's certain things about cards that I just love. I don't know why. I think it's, you know what people love about, like, certain people love certain things about video games. Like, if people have played Rocket League, it's all about timing and rhythm and, like, it, like, triggers that, like, human emotion of just, uh, fucking feels good man like it's just fun and like magic has a rhythm like that too with decks i love tempo decks and creatures and like haste and and uh certain things about cards and that's how i get attached to them and i only how does that explain millblade though what's that how does that explain millblade millblade is because fuck uh cawblade right like i was out to set up a deck that was solely targeted against that it obviously would have weaknesses elsewhere, but Cobblade was so dominant that we could literally build a deck and it could be a meta deck because Cobblade was like 70 plus percent of the meta. Like, I don't know if a deck, because I, I have about an eight year gap, I think, seven year gap, and I don't know if anything's ever been as dominant as that, but that was crazy. And yes, Millblade was basically a Cobblade shell. But focus to just mill instead of <laughs> kill. <laughs> <laughs> mill instead of kill, I love it. There you go, mill instead of kill, dude. And that's not normally my style of deck, but like I'm just like, there were certain cards that were just fun, and it was fun to do something different, and it's fun to give people options. People get so upset with metagames. Like, and granted, you can't ever avoid a metagame. It is what it is. There's always going to min-max, and there's always going to be a best of whatever you're looking at, whatever meta you're looking at. But, like, there's still, there's still, like, people don't put in a lot of time. There's only a handful of people putting in a lot of time. So, like, that's why I enjoy deck building and new sets and, like, just figuring it out. Like, I love Hearthstone. I love Eternal. I love... Uh, MTGA. I love just any card game, especially on when the meta turns, because I can figure it out like bef like with other people and and even before, like yeah, it's so much fun, dude. 
<laughs> I get, I do get hyped. I do clearly get hyped still. <laughs> Hearing your voice, were you part of the 80 minimum episodes? Um. Yes. Yes. You love that when I said it, so that's why I can hear it in my. In Did my I head. say that about cough? Is that what it was, or was that a? No, oh, I think you might have said it about something. Oh yeah, and then in the future episode, I said that about Tezzeret or something, and then it became it became that's a right. thing. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so let's get to the what you're known for: your enthusiasm and your brewing. And I find that some. Personally, my entire career, I have been known or, or best known to not deck build at all, just to be play the best deck or to be able to tune even all my articles that I've ever written on, on Mana Deprived that, that's a long time ago. But people who have followed me know that I just take an article time, I can tune uh, the main deck and the sideboard. I'm like a Jerry T of sorts. Um, but then I've, I've played these other games like Shadowverse where you have less cards that you have to fit like 30 instead of 60. You don't have to worry about mana base. So to me, to create a new deck in, in these other games have come a lot easier for me. For Magic, yeah. it's like you have this large pool of cards, you have 60, and you have to build a mana base. It just seems so yeah. intimidating. So how, how do you even approach it? Like, do you take a few cards that you really like, and then you just start from there? Like, a deck tuner is easy for me. I just take existing deck, play, play it like crazy, tweak like five to 10 cards, and I'm able to even tweak the mana base because I'm playing the existing deck so much. But you're like sometimes starting from scratch. Yeah. Me... The, so there's, uh, there's, I do that too. I like it. I'll, I'll sometimes look. I haven't recently because it's just experience. Like it's experience with card games. I, here's how I always do it. I buy all the cards like straight up. MDGO <laughs> costs me ten or fifteen. No, I know, I know they aren't. I know this is why I want credit, dude. It cost me a lot of time and money. You know? <laughs> um, so, anyways, yeah, I would buy all the cards. Like I was ten to fifteen thousand dollars in the MTGO, um, like to have modern and standard. Oh, and that was probably offline paper cards too. Anyways, a lot of money, right? Magic uh, Arena now, I'm like $400 in, and I have pretty much everything. So, yeah, I sp you basically need to own all the cards, buy all the cards, have all of them to brew with, right? So then you get your idea. This is, then this is just how I do it. But then you get your idea, and the idea is generally based off of um, my favorite cards slash probably the most powerful cards. And, and part of that is experience to know what's good and what's not good right away. And like now that you're, you're to you were spot on where you, you said like other card games, it like seems like it comes easy. That is so true. Like any card game I can pick up within a day and like probably just jam a lot of games, like a lot of games and like, I'll just know the meta and I can build like it's not even hard. And I don't waste a lot of time like perfecting my deck. Like I won't sit there like for hours and hours and hours and just stare at the list. I'll just build it because I have all the cards and play like two, three, ten games and get a feel. And like it is the, then I'll I'll know right off the bat if it's potential, like meaning am I ten to twenty cards off or like five? This feels good in the meta. Like I'm like, does this target like I, I blast through cues, do I do I just win these cues? Like am I beating the meta game right now? And um really it's just experience having the cards. Um and just playing lots and lots of games like that's the that's the thing I think people don't do enough of. I'm able to sit at my computer and play 10 hours a day 
hundreds of games or whatever that equates to, you know, and like people, I just don't, I just love it. I never, card games are like a mega passion of mine and I just, they don't get old for whatever reason. And so I can just jam so many games and that's how I figure it out. Like that's, that's my process. So I don't know if, if I can recommend our listeners to like, I don't know, proxy cards or just like, yeah. Um, do well, some but, other program. I don't know. No, get Magic Arena, dude. It is so affordable. It's crazy <laughs> compared to MTGO. Like, dude, uh, I I want I want a little bit of a rant time again uh, with Watsi here. Too. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Okay. All right, dude. Watsi, please, someone in your damn department, please listen to this podcast. I hope because. You hit gold with Magic Arena. This is how Magic should have been built eight years ago, and I applaud you for getting it done now. It's okay. It's okay that it's late, but you're missing the boat, dude. I'm telling you, triple down your team size right now. You are sitting on half, like half a billion plus dollars like of revenue with this game if you get a piece of Hearthstone's audience, and you will, but don't put in friends list crap where you have to Type in your friend's name and click challenge, and you can only do like enough with the half-ass implementation, dude. I love. Uh, okay, I don't want to just rip on Watsi, but this game is amazing, and I am so passionate, and I want to see it succeed quickly. But like, I already have all the cards. I'm not playing for anything. There's nothing for me to play for. There needs to be leaderboards, tournaments, blah, but they need to implement this stuff faster because they're on a gold mine. Like they're sitting atop a top ten Twitch game right now. And the game's like in a stalemate mode because it's like in a in a beta still is essentially. But they did so good. So thank you for finally building this. People can afford this now for even two hundred dollars. You can have like multiple top decks. By the way, back to our last conversation really quick. <laughs> um, so anyway, I just wanted to rant a little bit because this is what. Watsi has been needing to do forever, and they did it. But I'm so worried they're going to keep making Watsi mistakes where they just ride it when it could be so much better. That, but I don't know if that's a Watsi thing more than a Hasbro thing. Hasbro needs to give them the money because this will save Hasbro's. Sorry, but they make so many bad decisions like Toys R Us and brick-and-mortar crap. They need to look in the future. They have no idea what they're doing. Someone needs to say, here's the money. Make us money, because Watsi can do it with this program. Anyways, that's my rant about that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, okay. so you, you've been, but you came back recently because of Arena, right? I, I mean, we reconnected over Instagram, but I feel like it was really recent. Uh, am I wrong? Nope, you're 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 100 spot on. The only reason I'm playing Magic right now is because of Magic Arena. Is the only reason. Period. Like, I got in the closed beta early on, and um, I've been playing it since. I think that was June. So would so, you say Guilds, Guilds was your first set, like, new set for your comeback? Uh, yeah, like, I'm very unfamiliar with anything pre-Dominaria, I guess. I, like, I learned the Dominaria cards recently, but I did not play when that came out. So, yeah, Ravnica's, like... The first time I've been playing Magic in a new set came out in about seven years, so I missed I missed a lot, that's for sure. So so let's get through your process like right here and, and tell me what happened. Like you so Guilds of Ravnica, you buy all the cards. So what was what are some cards that gravitated towards you that you really wanted to build around? <sighs> that I I haven't been in love with <laughs> any cards to be honest with you. Like specific cards, I I know I know I know I love like. 
so a Johnny. I think oh M nineteen came out right when I got into the beta. I think I love the four the four drop of Johnny. Like um, I'm super into that card. Um, I, I Legion's Landing was I know that's an older one, but it's it's probably one of my favorite. The Convoke mechanic, I, green white tokens I'm most attached to. Like Venerated Loxodon, I'm like a super big fan of. Um, what else? I'm looking at my deck list right now. Um, oh another card that. I'm not. Oh, Amara is probably one of my favorites. Um, just, just I. You know me. I've built a lot of token decks, and I, I just really like her. Um, anything with Convoke is just. I love it because you can just cheat out. It's like Mana Ramp, right? In non Mana Ramp colors, is how it essentially plays out. Um, what other deck? Oh, there was a card I loved super early on, and I just can't get. The deck to win quite enough, but it's blue, green, black based on, and the only blue is for Lazav, the guy that enters. I don't know how popular he is right now. I saw the top eights and it's he's nowhere close. So, um, but he becomes a copy of a guy in your graveyard. He's two mana, one three, surveil one, and dude, it's just so nice in a deck because I'm running Charnel Troll at three, who's a four four trample. You know, grows. Um, I thought that card was actually going to be one of the best cards of the set, although I haven't really seen him played much. Maybe we're a set away from him becoming really good, but that card dominates games. If he sticks, Tarnal Troll early on is just game over. Um, Golgari Raiders is another one I really like. Uh, it, it, he's the four-drop green guy. He's uncommon with haste. <laughs> There's my haste, and this is why he's good. <laughs> Like, you just drop a four mana, and often he's a four four haste, or like a six six haste, or even more. Like, he's a really fun card. Um, but Lazav is one of my favorite cards of the set. Charnel Troll, uh, a Johnny of M19. And I absolutely love, and these are off Smitty colors, but Crackling Drake, which I know have seen uh, competitive play. I love that card a lot. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why. It just feels good to, like, play him, I guess. Um, so that, that's a handful of cards. Yeah, I haven't got super as hyped as I used to yet, but we'll, we'll, I'm sure one will come along. They better re- reprint Blood Artist soon. It's about time. <laughs> they, they always make a version of them. Like some, yeah, some but it's sort of... never nearly as good. Like there's one right now that's, oh, it's just total shit, but it's kind of the same. I forget, yeah. <laughs> um, so what, what, what... What decks are you like really hyped about now? I mean, I, I watch you stream, and and you were it sounded like you weren't really encouraged because you were testing against like people who who you felt were just garbage at the game or something. Yeah. So. Well, that's the thing with MTGA. That's the downside to MTGA. My 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 uh, my win rate skewed just because I'm playing. I know I'm playing against like not mtgo level players let's put just let's put it that way right um so right now get this so i just looked at the top eight pro tour deck list and i gotta say i'm not gonna be humble here dude i have been on mono white tokens slash um just beats early like beats like straight mono white for the last like three to four weeks and my list is a little different just barely though um but it looks like it just won the mono white just won a pro tour top eight or just won a pro tour. And there's even multiples in the top eight and it's almost except for healers Hawk, which I hadn't been using, although I had recently thought to add it. 
all these Ascend cards, like, I've been playing this exact list. So anyways, it's just really cool to see that, like, my deck brewing process, I feel like it's even getting better now because I've played so many card games in the last 10 years. Like, I never quit playing card games. I just quit playing Magic based on the price and the amount of time it sucked out of my life. So... (laughs) Because <laughs> you have to buy all the cards. It's your process. So yeah. So, so exactly. Well, exactly. Exactly. I can't keep up. So I, I'm not playing Paper Magic. I don't know if I will. Um, we'll see. Maybe I'll borrow decks and hit up Portland GPs or something at some point. That said, um, <clears throat> not just mono white. I, I'd kind of got a sense that any of these early beats white decks, white green, white red, mono white. Um, they were they were they were really really good and hard to beat. Like there's yeah, for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of white cards that like create tokens and like just very hard to clear. Uh, so I, early on, I was on to the early beats, but that's always what I brew is like aggro or tokens or anything but like blue control. <laughs> so anyways, mono yeah. I, I, most of what I have been brewing, honestly, in the last month to five weeks or so, has been white, white splash and off color. Like it's just, it's just noticeably stronger than the other decks. Are there considerations like, because you're saying MTG is has more is more casual um, based, like is is like meta gaming less of a concern then? Are you seeing the same type of decks in in the queues or you're not? Yeah. Yeah, so overall, it's pretty much the standard meta. Like you still, you're still playing. It's rare you're playing against. Just you don't play against bad cards. Like at this point, people have the cards, and I'm usually in the competitive queues, so it's like a three-game thing, and the entry fee is higher gold or whatever. Um, and so yeah, it's it's mostly meta, but. I do notice like lots of people with decks who you can just tell they don't have the cards. Like they're just running the mono blue aggro and like I don't even know if that deck's good. I don't think it's very good. I think it's easily countered, but um <clears throat> yeah, so th- th- it is slightly off meta, but you can get a very good idea regardless. Just just based on experience and how cards interact. And it's not like it's lesser. Like you play enough games and you kind of know anyways. So it, it's slightly different, but in in all, it's essentially the same thing. Although you're right, they need more uh, they need more like co- competition tournaments, like a, a way to display like what you're doing, or so that you play against only top players or such. I, I would like that more, where like the higher higher end players play against higher end players just based on a um, a ranking system. Um, I, do you know? Do you know? You have any idea where if people are, are playing off the top of your head right now, like if they're playing these like white weenie um, decks or white red? Yeah, do you have yeah. what the next step would be what you would play uh, to counter these decks? To counter them, that without, I haven't given it enough thought. I, and off the top of my head, it would. It, I don't know if you can other than just playing another. Playing, you gotta. I think we're. I think this meta is kind of like you gotta join them type thing. I'm not sh- sure how well control can overall compete against these decks. Like it looks like the top eight only had one control deck. Is that right? Um, let's see. Yeah, just just got control. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I kind of sense that the counters just playing 
another version of white splash something to be honest um well well, people are thinking like because because you generally have unless you have the the lord sort of that that you have a bunch of x ones right yeah that that we might see a resurgence uh, of chain whirler uh and i don't know if you've you've played with the card yeah mm-hmm. i played against it quite a, it, that's the other thing on mtga you run into a lot of mono red no matter what like and in chain whirler is definitely a part of that um and basically every red deck so i've played against him and it it's still not good enough like it's not good enough okay it's I, well it, it is good enough i'm sorry the the card itself if you're playing mono red you have to play that right 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 and it does it will help you in certain situations it will even win you the game but like venerated loxodon and like pride of conquerors and these boost cards just come out so fast loxodon's right. a turn three play like you're i don't know it's really hard to counter you what i noticed when i play non-white decks like I really enjoy blue red with just um, Niv Mizzet. By the way, Niv Mizzet's the strongest card, and that that's another card I absolutely love. And I think it's the strongest card in standard right now. Okay. Um, the so Niv Mizzet with the um uh, the red planeswalker. I'm still hazy with names. Um, <laughs> so anyways, him and Ral as win conditions, and just the four drop crackling Drake that kind of deck. So. Where I was going with this is early removal spells, shock or like the black one, um, ah, the minus two, minus two. You need those cards. You have to have them in your hand and you have to aggressively mulligan for them if you're playing against these aggro decks and you're not as fast and you're not going to be like if you're mid-range or control. So early removal is the only answer. you got to match their one and two drops and then you will win at three if you can match those early one two drops. That's 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 my that's the way I see it at least. I don't think there's board sweepers to answer things well enough as like a catch all. All right, we, we got your thoughts. Let's jump into just quickly talk about how how come you can't control yourself on Twitter? Oh God, dude. Because the, the problem with Twitter here's the problem. I've done social media a lot. All the platforms, pretty much. Something about Twitter is like, it's people want to be heard, myself included. And so on Twitter, though, it's like there's a lack of accountability for some reason. And I don't understand it. Like, I felt like I was anonymous at all times on Twitter because, like, I lacked personal relationships on Twitter. Maybe that's it. I lacked like IRL personal relationships on Twitter. Okay. Like it, people didn't know the real personality of me, so I could be whoever I wanted. And at times, I was a really shitty person. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm just not like that in person generally. And like I I just I don't know. I think that I think that's the answer. I think it's a lack of um, people I know in real life and a lack of accountability. And I took advantage of that in a bad way at times. Um, I think that's why I just can't do Twitter, but I keep finding myself on Twitter because it's really good. I, I love hearing people talk about things, magic or the NFL or whatever. And there's not a place that's is quick and, um, 
is on the pulse of things, I guess is one way to put it. Reddit is as close as you can get, but it's still a forum and it's a little slower and hard to follow real time. So like, that's why I love Twitter is I love hearing what people have to say. And like Instagram is just fake. Like people are just all positive, which is great. But like, <laughs> it's less real than Twitter also. I don't know. That's why I just... I don't have good self-control on Twitter, so boom goes the Twitter. I mean, what I had like 2,000 followers. Well, how many years ago was that? Ten years ago, and I just deleted it because I was like, I can't, I shouldn't be here. Yeah, <laughs> but I, then, yeah. I don't like. For me, I don't want to like convince you to come back or anything because I know that um, over the years you've been pretty, pretty private. I mean, your your Facebook, you didn't even. I mean, you yeah. add Scotty, but it's not like you really post much or, or we we were Facebook friends for maybe a short period of time. So I always thought you were outside of like the magic. You allowed yourself a bit out, but like you were private most of the time. And, and that's why it's natural to me that Instagram, when you're making stories and getting news out there, seems more natural to you. And like it's, it's yeah. not just positivity. It's just like a lot of times it's just Instagram bots or really lazy Instagrammers who just want you to follow them back. So they just like yeah. have these vanilla statements like nice picture, bro. And it's just, just like, right. oh, obviously he's not, he's doing that to every account. So yeah, yeah, that kind of that people don't, people who do that have zero idea how they'll never be good at social media ever. Like people who do that just fucking stop. If you want attention, just don't do that. <laughs> You gotta. It has to be organic, dude. The way me and you built our audiences, and yeah. and we're just right now we're just preaching uh, to people who want to build. I think. Um, anyways, you have to interact. You have to care. Like you have to want to be there, and it just shows. Like you can't just build something and people come. You it your brand is you and your personality and your time and effort and your like your the human being makeup like that's like that, that's what people end up getting drawn to in social media so those like half-ass attempts you're correct just don't work but and instagram's a lot of that that said the stories are more like twitter and i find myself using them more that way like where I, if i want to really say something i do but i'm definitely more careful on instagram than i ever was on twitter <laughs> so, um i it, it, like that's just the truth of it like i'm an honest person with myself and like i wish it wasn't I wasn't like that. But yeah, I do. I would love to come back. It's just like so many things tilt me too, dude. So many things <laughs> tilt me. And like when it, when I see it, it's like, okay, I could ignore it. But on Twitter, I just don't. I don't know why. I just don't. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that like I want you to be on because it's to talk NFL especially. Um, yeah. With, with, you, with you and Joey Pasco, it's just like – when Cincinnati like fires another coach and it's not the head coach, I want your take. You know, that's that's, that's they, what I want. Dude. My take is it's unbelievable. I agree. <laughs> I'm in Stephen A. Smith's boat here. I don't know if you've heard him yell about yeah. Marvin Lewis. How the hell he has a job? For so yeah. many years. For so many years, it's been forever. It's, it's mind blowing. No <laughs> profession anywhere could ever keep a job that long. And fail so many times. It's unbelievable. I, I think Marvin Lewis is a great person and a great coach, but not a, maybe a great head coach. He never will be. Uh, well, yeah, well, I agree. I, I need to get back on Twitter for that. Think, think, <laughs> thinking about this show before, I, I was just thinking about like you and Twitter and like you, 
acknowledging that that you have these flaws with social media. I was thinking of myself, like sometimes even though like we're aware of something, like we can't help it. For example, for me, the example I wanted to, to bring on the show was that I've been sh- super shy outside of like creating these projects and, and being this podcaster. I've been shy all my life and yep. largely because sheltered by my parents who told me that I didn't need to work um, until like really like when I was at least, I feel like at least 18 years old was finally when I first my, got my first job. And that's why I had little interaction with people outside of my family. So I remember being a little kid either in elementary school or high probably elementary school where um, my mom was at work, but she'd tell me, okay, if you get home, you got to call the, the family restaurant that we own. And if it's like a waitress, you ask for your uncle Tony or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I still remember just being at home and I'm just, cause I'm so shy. I, I looked at the phone, I got home and I didn't even want to dial cause I was just too scared to talk to anybody. Yep. And Dude. It's, it's stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> And it's carried over to my relationship where um, even with my, my now wife, where we would at the beginning, it doesn't happen. It happens far less now. Where at the beginning where, you know, my wife might want me to ask the waiter for something extra. I was scared to do that. And like I knew it was silly. I know it's stupid, but I couldn't help myself from all those years of, of being shy. I just I just feel so like my body feels physically so uncomfortable talking yeah. to a stranger. It's unbelievable. Yes. Yes, dude, you are me, dude. <laughs> dude, I still to this day the phone fucking rings and I stare at it and I am like, dude, no, do I have to answer this? Like, do I really like oh dude, I don't know what it is. You're right. I grew up the same way, dude. Painfully shy. But content creation I can get around. I don't know why. That's super funny you say that. Because never... we're more in control. We're more in control of the content. I guess that's it. Yeah, that that's totally it. I, dude, everything you said to a T is like exactly how I grew up. Wow. Too. Yeah. I, I, I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad I got that out. I'm glad that that we have the similar experience. Um, I'm gonna have you on just just for this last part, uh, Jesse. I just want you to know, like the people want to know what you've been up to. Like you've decided to quit your job and risk it in this is this new career, right? So so I just want to listen to know a bit about that. Yeah, so I think even when we were in the A-team days, I was talking about studying for the CPA and tax returns all the time, and I think people even got annoyed by it. So I did the CPA thing and tax returns for nine, ten tax seasons, and I just quit this last July. I'm maintaining my CPA license just in case to fall back on. Uh, However, yes, I have attempted to go full-time photographer. I I do mostly real estate photography, um, videos and uh, event photos and occasional like wedding or family. I sell landscape prints. Uh, I diversify right now. I'm in the process of shipping a bunch of calendars for the 2019 year. Um, It's been slow. It's hard as heck, uh, just networking and getting business. Um, but I've never been happier. I really this last one. I came out of heavy depression basically last last year, and that's what did me in for the accounting. It was just too much of the same every day. I was just getting sucked dry. Plus seventy hour week 
uh, work weeks, like seven days a week from February through April. So it just, it was too much, too much. So I've, I've had more time to do the things I want to do, like, you know, play more games, magic, uh, definitely. But I'm, I've been going really hard on the photography thing. Um, I might have to get a job here <laughs> for a while to keep it, um, till it, till it really kind of balloons i hope someday but we'll see i think i remember your passion for it grew late right it it was like during the 18 where you start reading up on like online lessons or something i don't even i think it might even i might have bought a camera then i don't i didn't like i'd say i've been serious for three years in photography like maybe and i dabbled maybe for Maybe five. I maybe you're right though. My dude, my memory sucks for in terms of time and everything. So, you so for people, so for people who just like might want to jump in, like what what do you suggest is a good starting point then? Oh man, you just have to want to do it. But honestly, just starting at YouTube, if that's how you learn, like just start with the basics and start like look where your passion is, and then follow the people who are best in that field, and just honestly. That is going to sound bad, but like you, you try to copy them for a while. Like you got to, you got to learn and then you end up getting your own kind of feel. But like you, people's, you're inspired, people are inspired by certain work and end up gravitating towards that and use that. Like we're a, we're humanity, right? We, we, we borrow from each other because it, it's an endless thing. Humanity is like an endless thing, so to speak. So like the one, like Ansel Adams, a landscape photographer, like his work is appearing now in humanity and getting and and passing on through people who are inspired by his work. So like, it, I, I think copying people's work and then just wanting, it, it's just drive. It's just drive. You have to want it. You have to want to uh, be a content creator essentially <laughs> like uh, right. that's what that's what it is <laughs> like what but I, we had this serious talk uh i don't know if it was via instagram direct message where i was telling you like it's it's the challenge of you don't you want to be the guy you don't want to be the guy that that's stuck in his job that didn't go for it and risk it all because you you know you'd be happier that way but you don't you also at the same time don't want to be that guy that just jams into a dream that just will not happen, that you won't earn money from. Like I had a friend, I was telling you who, his dream was to open a dance studio, but he had no credentials. He didn't have like a certificate of any kind. He didn't have, his passion was dancing, but you need, I mean, at least do, you have to do a lot of like basics where maybe you do free lessons out of school to build like, I don't know, even an email list. So you would be like, hey, yo, I'm starting a school um and stuff like totally. that you, like you have to do something you can't just like start one start passing out flyers in real life and expect people to show up it just doesn't work that way and three months later like no with minimal or if not zero clients he ended up closing the studio down and and i was obviously not surprised and so that's the balance that you have to be aware of like you have to be can i actually do this is there actually you, you can't lie to yourself and that's that's it right there. I'm, like, I'm glad to see that, that there's some um, glimpse of success for you. And, and I hope you, you definitely hope you succeed in this uh, endeavor for, for me. Yeah. Thanks dude. Like it's, it's um, yeah, it's scary. It's scary. Like I'm the, the, the bank account's definitely going down right now, but I mean, any first year business is like that. I think like in terms of what, like your story about your friend, um, one of the biggest things 
I can say is if you ever wanted to try to go out and chase a dream is please be self-aware. That is the most important thing possible is be self-aware. Like, I don't even think I'm that good of a photographer still. Like, I'm super frustrated at my work, but like, I'm still aware that I'm pretty good and I'm good at running business. Like, I can do... I can do it. I know I can do it. Like, and that's the thing. You just need self-awareness. Um, and it does take time. So you have to have, you need patience and you need to know that, um, it, it, it will work out if you believe it and have good self-awareness, I think. And I don't know if you actually have to improve at, uh, I don't know if it's true. This is my last question, last topic. I don't know if it's true for every space, but it's becoming more and more of a thing that like social media is super important in, in getting the word out. Like even like this dance studio example, like if if he was more successful at putting the word out via Facebook or maybe Instagram, I don't know what platform would like every realm has a different platform that you should excel at. Some like you need Pinterest to get the word out, right? And uh, which is a platform that I don't use at all personally. So what about you? Do you think photography that, that you should probably put yourself more out there in, in certain platforms or it, what do you think about that? I, I think, I think it's, it, it would be extremely rare case if someone was successful without social media in this day and age. I think it's, it's such a revolution to where like an individual like you or me can become well known just from the seat of our office, you know, like it's, it's, um, you have to have social media. Like there's no, the traditional means of being a known entity was like television advertising, billboards. Um, I mean, freaking phone books and stuff, right? Like these things just don't exist essentially anymore. Not, not in reality. <laughs> I mean, TV is such a thing of the past. Like, I mean, everyone I know just streams, right? So anyways, it's yeah, you have to be good at social media, I I feel like, or you have to be exceptionally good locally networking. You could do it that way. But like you, you could only, be you could still afford to be garbage at Twitter. Is that what sorry. Yes, you could. You could absolutely afford to be garbage at social media if you're good face to face. But like we were talking about, I'm painfully shy. I still don't want to go and talk to people and small talk. And all that, you know, it's just not my jam. I'm, it's makes me uncomfortable and sweaty, and my butt sweats, and I don't want it. <laughs> so, so the platforms, what platforms are you? So it's Instagram for sure that you're focusing in, on. Instagram, um, and Instagram isn't really like it. It that's I use Instagram to become nationally slash internationally. Um, uh, known in a sense. I, I very, I, I'm just about at a thousand followers, so nothing significant at all, but it still feels like my place where I share my best work and that people can find me. Um, so I use Instagram. Um, I did, I, I deleted Facebook and everything and you're right. Um, earlier you're talking about how I was private and stuff. I used to be private on Facebook. Uh, I've given that up. So feel free to add me now on Facebook. I'll, I'll add anyone. It's more of like, um, it's less personal now and it's more business oriented for me, to be honest. Uh, so Facebook, Instagram, I use a website called Viewbug, which is a photo contest site and I use Reddit. Uh, I, I can, I, I've had some good luck on earth porn. I've been at the top of earth porn a handful of times and that has a ton of viewership. So those are the platforms I'm using right now. Sweet, sweet. So, but, but like for, for your work, I guess, I guess, like I said, being improving at Twitter doesn't matter. 
Um, yeah, Twitter is irrelevant <laughs> for my work. It really is. Damn it. Damn yeah, it. I know. So, I know. But no wait, 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 wait. Wait, here, I have one way to get me back in full swing. If Jay Bush gives me the fucking Twitter handle, Smith, uh, dude, I didn't ask. I hope I'm not. I'm cussing up a storm on you. That's fine. That's fine. I don't um, think it's him. It's really you don't think it's him? I don't. Think I, I I don't know who it is. I I honestly don't. But who? It might be Doug P or who else? I, I think it's just a random listener. I really think so. I don't think oh, Jay. Really? I don't think Jay. You know Jay. He's lazy. He's not spending time creating a <laughs> new account. So. Oh man, hey Jay Bush, I miss you if you listen to this. Um, anyways, yeah, so I I really want that handle back pretty bad. <laughs> I think if I if I had that handle, I would have more accountability because um, because it has my hand same handle as all my other social media accounts. So I think I would I would be um, active, but. I'll try to find out. Yeah, we'll see. I, I've been trying to. I've been messaging that account. They ain't giving it up. As far. <laughs> I'll, I'll see what I can do if someone I know. Anyways. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Jesse, for coming on my first show. I think I'm going to have you on because there's like a zillion topics that we can talk about. And I think I we, just gel, we just gel super well and uh, excited to have you back on. Love you, man. Thanks, dude. I appreciate it. I could talk for hours with you for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk soon, my man. All right. Peace, brother. Peace.